how I really enjoy sunrises and sunsets around here. I was driving home the other day, and man, I was so beautiful. And I was thinking, that's really beautiful. And God's going to recreate heaven and earth. It's going to be even more beautiful. Can you say amen? Praise God. So this morning's sermon is near at hand. Jesus could come back at any moment. Can you say amen? There's really nothing else that has to happen for Jesus to come back. And we're going to be looking at several scriptures. So first of all, open your Bibles, if you have yours, to Philippians chapter 4 and verse 5, where it says these words, Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Oops. The Lord is at hand. <clears throat> Literally means he's right here, right near. But there's a little pun on words I'm going to show you here. But first of all, let your gentleness be known to all men, all people. Everybody should know that you're a Christian if you're saved. You, sometimes you have to tell them. Sometimes you don't have to tell them, but once you do tell them, then you have to act like it. <laughs> Can you say amen? <laughs> let your gentleness, could be translated, let your graciousness. How many know that we need to be gracious with people? Most of us are very gracious with ourselves. You know, we, we overlook a lot of our own faults <laughs> because we have faults. Can you say Amen. <laughs> And it's kind of irritating when you see the same faults in someone else. And it's so easy to be critical of the other person when they have the same faults you have. Because it's like, hey, I know that. It's the, that's not good. That's not good. And uh, I don't know about you, but I, it bothers me when I see people displaying the same faults that I have. So the, the cure for that is to be gracious, as gracious to ourselves as we are gracious to others as we are to ourselves. We're pretty lenient to ourselves. Can you say amen? You know, oh, God will forgive me. Oh, God, forgive me. And, you know, hopefully that's all that needs to be done. And, and you go on from there, and God does forgive us. Isn't that great? That's the good news. God forgives us, even when we do dumb things. I know, you know anybody do dumb things besides me? <laughs> if you can't say amen, say ouch. <laughs> Praise God. Well, this is very interesting to me. This word, at hand, is the Greek word, engus, and is only found five times in the entire New Testament. It literally means to be near, such as in a place or time. It means also to be ready. Jesus said, my time is at hand when he was on his way to Jerusalem, knowing that he was going to go to the cross, knowing that he's going to be betrayed by his friends, knowing that he's going to be scourged and whipped and mocked and beaten, put on trial, falsely accused, and slain as an innocent person. I, was, uh, I mentioned this probably a week ago or two, that uh, <clears throat> on the John Ankerberg show and Daystar, they had a gentleman who brings little uh, recording devices to different parts of the country, and they translate the gospel into uh, the language of the local people. And in this one refugee camp, I don't remember what country it was, somewhere in Africa, they showed the Jesus film. 
And it was so amazing, the story he related, that these people had never heard the gospel before, but they're watching the Jesus film, and they understood that's an innocent man. And the crowd got upset. Hey, hey, stop, don't let him do that. But they understood eventually why that innocent man went and took the penalty that we deserve. As a result, the people got saved and God changed their lives so much that they don't even need policemen in that refugee camp area where <clears throat> all these people got saved. They, <laughs> they defunded the police, but they did it the right way. <laughs> people got saved. That's how you defund the police. If you defund the police now, the bad guys will have a heyday. Praise God. Well, the funny pun about at hand in the Greek is that it's related to another word, ankros, which means to bend or it means the arm. So here's the pun. The Lord is at hand, and it's really not funny because the Lord is at hand. Jesus is coming back. The pun, in my opinion, anyway. Here's the hand. Jesus is here. Here's the arm. It's real close. Hallelujah. Revelation chapter 22, verse 10. And also, in chapter 1, verse 3, it says these words, this angel, Revelation 22, is the last chapter in the Bible. John's standing there. The angel's standing there. And the angel tells John, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. Now, this was written over 1,900 years ago. How many know, remember reading the book of Acts in Acts chapter 2 and chapter 4, chapter 4, the early church, they had everything in common. Nobody said anything was theirs. They fully expected Jesus to come back in their lifetime. There was a very interesting show on Daystar yesterday. They were explaining a Galilean wedding and why Jesus, first of all, his first miracle was at a wedding in Cana of Galilee. Weddings in Galilee were big deals. It was, you know, a lot of uh, formalities. You had to go and, and uh, the, the, the young lady actually had to accept the husband's offer. They got betrothed. And then he had to go fix up a place for her. And uh, she had to be ready at any minute to go when he came. But the key was that the only person who knew when the groom could go get the bride was the groom's dad. How many knew that? That's why Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and when I come back, I'm going to take you. But nobody knows the hour or the day or the minute or the second except the Father in heaven. So, the... <laughs> point is to be ready. Can you say amen? Verse 3 of chapter 1 in Revelation, it's written, it says, blessed is he or she, whoever reads the words and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. All of those churches in Revelation are no longer there, pretty much. They are in modern-day Turkey. If you know anything about modern-day Turkey, it's a Muslim nation. They just took over uh, a historic site. 
And uh, there's a cathedral. I forget what they call it, the Hagia Sophia or something or other like that. And the Turkish government said, you know what? This is now going to be a mosque from now on. And all kinds of people got upset. <clears throat> How many have ever heard of the city of Smyrna? It's one of the churches in the book of Revelation. In 1920, the... Uh, Turkish army came in and they slaughtered thousands of people. Thousands of Christians were forced to leave the city. The time is at hand. John chapter 14 verse 1 through 3 says several things. Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you and I'm coming back for you. Hallelujah. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 says, Our citizenship is in heaven. I mean, you know, we have dual citizenship. We're citizens of this country, and we're also citizens of heaven. But which one takes priority? Which citizenship is paramount? Our citizenship in heaven. Our citizenship in heaven means that God's ideas... And God's rules should rule and reign in our lives. It also means that we have a responsibility here on earth to behave as though our citizenship is in heaven. So I hope all of you that are eligible to vote are registered to vote because we have a very important election coming up. I believe you have to be uh, registered 23 or 24 days before the election. <clears throat> you can look it up. Public service notice, you can look it up on servicearizona.com or anywhere else on the internet voting. Our citizenship is in heaven from where we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. I hope and pray that every single one who believes in Jesus is eagerly waiting for him. I don't know about you, but there's so much trouble in this world today I hope Jesus comes back real soon. Can you say amen? Real soon. Hallelujah. Let's look at, whoops, wrong button. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 51 through 52. Behold, Paul writes, I tell you a mystery. This is something that not everybody knows. A mystery. We shall not all sleep. And this doesn't mean that you're taking a nap. This is the same word that's used in several other areas when it means those who are dead physically. How many know your spirit is eternal? We're made in the image and likeness of God. So your spirit is eternal. The Bible says, Paul writes and says, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. When our physical bodies wear out and you, you, the real you, leaves the body, this is what the Bible is talking about as sleep. Because there are other scriptures that specifically say that those who have fallen asleep in Christ will not make it before us. We're going to be caught up together with them. In a moment... We shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. And he's writing this to Christians at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. 
This is talking about physical corruption, physical decay. I don't know about you, but I'll be 63 in November and I can start to feel a little bit older. Uh, when I turned 60, I sent a picture to one of my brothers. 60 is the new 30. Now that I'm past 60, <laughs> it's no longer the new 30. <laughs> I move a certain way, my back goes crunch, crunch, crunch. My neck goes crunch, crunch. Yeah, everything hurts. <laughs> I'm subject to decay, and so are you. Can you say amen? But we will be changed. This is our hope. We're going to be, we're going to have perfect bodies in heaven. Hallelujah. Perfect bodies. In the first letter to the Thessalonians, Paul writes and he says, For the Lord himself would descend from heaven with a shout, the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain, and remain faithful to Jesus, or are still alive here on earth, shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. This is commonly referred to as the rapture of the church. The rapture of the church. If you're familiar with Matthew chapter 24, Jesus comes out of the temple and the disciples say, hey, isn't this place beautiful? And Jesus said, well, it's all going to be destroyed. And they ask him three questions. When will Jerusalem be destroyed? What's the sign of your coming? What will happen when you come back? That particular passage of Scripture is not talking about the rapture. There are no signs for the rapture other than be ready, other than that the dead in Christ will rise first. This is not the second coming. This is the rapture. The second coming is when Jesus comes back with the saints in the clouds, in the air, and comes back to earth. At this point in time, we're just going to meet the Lord in the air, in heaven. As a matter of fact, Matthew doesn't even answer their question. In Matthew's Gospel, Jesus doesn't answer that question about when will Jerusalem be destroyed. That's found in Luke chapter 21. And he lists all these things that will take place. And it's talking about specifically the answer to the question, when will Jerusalem be destroyed? He says, before it's destroyed, you guys are going to be imprisoned you're brought before kings. Don't worry about what to say. The Holy Spirit's going to give you something to say. But the sign of his coming, the second coming, we can see clearly just reading the newspaper today. Wars, rumors of wars, earthquakes, pestilences, all kinds of troubles. But at the second coming, not the rapture, at the second coming, Jesus is coming to earth and he's going to set up the millennial kingdom. That's what's going to happen. But listen to what it says in Matthew chapter 24, verse 31. He will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet. Go back up here. The sound of a trumpet. And they will gather together his elect from the four winds, not on the earth, in the sky, in the clouds, in the air, from one end of heaven to the other. 
So the saints are not going to be on the earth at the second coming. They're going to be in heaven. And they're coming back with Jesus at that time, at his second coming. So I believe that this indicates that the rapture will happen before the great tribulation that the book of Revelation talks about. Why would we go through the tribulation? The tribulation is the pouring out of the wrath of God on the ungodly and unbelieving, the enemies of God who do refuse Jesus. Because in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9, Paul says, God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. The wrath of God was already poured out for us on Jesus. And Isaiah, it's in chapter 53, I don't remember the exact verse, but it says that he will look upon his travail and be satisfied. There's an old hymn that says the wrath of God was satisfied. And on that cross where Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. God has to, because he's holy, has to punish sin has to take care of it. God can't just ignore it and overlook it because it destroys people's lives. It's not God's plan for people to live in sin. Sin destroys people's lives. Can you say amen? But Jesus came so that we could have life and life more abundantly, so we could have a good life. It doesn't necessarily mean we won't have any trouble but it will mean that when we have that proper relationship with God through Jesus, we can rely on him for his help. I guarantee you, you will have trouble in this life. Things will happen. Problems will come. <laughs> Here in Arizona, especially in southern Arizona, you will have termites in your house. <laughs> it's guaranteed. And you have to fix it and pay for it to get it taken care of. I'm telling you from first-hand experience, they're terrible. <laughs> the exterminator, by the way, told me that uh, they never sleep. The workers live for two years. <clears throat> they can morph into reproductive uh, termites. Uh, they, the king and the queen can live for about 20 years. They move very slowly, so it takes about two to three years before you even discover that they're doing anything in your house. Not only that... There can be from 700,000 to 7 million of them in each colony. In your home, they could have a colony over here and a colony over there. Trouble. 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 With a capital T. Praise God. But God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Salvation is deliverance and freedom from the power and the consequences of sin. Sometimes you have to suffer some consequences for sin before you get saved. You may have done some dumb things like I did. Lots of them. But when you get saved, the grace of God is extended to us in such a way that we can get out of some things and God will help us. And you can look back and say, God helped me. And the reason we go through troubles is so that when God brings us through them, we can help other people who may be going through the same things. It's called sharing the comfort of God. 
Let's move to the next scripture. James chapter 5, verse 7. Therefore, what do you mean therefore? Why is it therefore? What's therefore? The hope of the resurrection from the dead. The hope of Jesus calling us to heaven. The hope of deliverance. Hallelujah. Be patient until the coming of the Lord. Be patient. Guess how you be patient? <clears throat> you have to have problems and things that try and test your patience. Patience just doesn't come because you're so wonderful and nice and relaxed. And Patience comes when opportunities for problems come. And you have to patiently go through them and wait on God. Can you say amen? Anybody have any problems? <laughs> this young man, I read a story about a young man. He went to the, the professor, the head of a, a famous uh, uh, Bible college. He says, will you please pray for me? I need patience. Oh, certainly. Lord, bring this man plenty of problems. No, 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 no. I don't want problems. I want patience, he says. Well, how do you think you get it? You go through problems. <laughs> Praise God. So James tells us, be patient until the coming of the Lord's. Watch the farmers. They wait patiently for the precious fruit of the earth. They have to fight off the bugs. Waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. And this is a reference to the Holy Spirit as evidenced if you look it up in Joel chapter 2, I believe it is. The former rain and the latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Hallelujah. Establish your hearts. How do you establish your hearts? Get on your knees. <laughs> Open your Bible. Establish your hearts. If you have too much problems, guess what? We have a pastor you can talk to. We have other brothers and sisters in the church you can talk to. Ask for help. Establish your hearts. Verse 8 says, be patient. Hallelujah. Because the Lord is at hand. Another, excuse me, another translation says, the Lord has drawn near. God is near to those with a broken heart. And uh, Psalm 51 says those exact words. God is near to those who have a broken heart. Hallelujah. Because what? The broken heart, God heals it. God comforts us. The Holy Spirit is available to us. When you lose a loved one, you mourn because you're going to miss them. But as Christians and believers in Jesus, we have the hope that we'll see them again, that it's not goodbye, it's see you later. Hallelujah. Praise God. So, since Jesus is coming back, since he's near and at hand, what shall we do? Do business until I come. This is a, uh, one of the parables in Luke. This is the 41st parable in Luke. Luke had a lot of parables in, of Jesus. This is the 41st parable. And what's really interesting about Jesus' parables is they come from real life. This is the parable of the ruler who told his servants, I'm going to receive a kingdom. Occupy or do business till I come. 
Here's ten minas in uh, Mark's gospel. It, they give out, he gives out talents. But in Luke's um, parable, the king goes to another country to receive his kingdom. Just so happened, according to Josephus the historian, that that time Herod had gone to Rome. He was in Jericho. He had gone to Rome to receive the kingdom of Judea. <coughs> and the people didn't want him. He was cruel. Josephus makes a note that the Jewish people sent a delegation to Rome to appeal against Herod, and they won. Archelaus replaced him. In Jesus' parable, he says that the, the, an ambassador is sent, and they don't want, really want this king. And so it's real life. In the King James Version, it says, Occupy till I come. Does everybody remember that Occupy Wall Street nonsense and Occupy Tucson? They had people camping out downtown and all sorts of criminal activity was taking place. <clears throat> it was up in uh, Portland, Oregon just recently. Was it Portland or Seattle? Where a bunch of people uh, took over an area and they called it an occupied zone or some nonsense like that. And all kinds of criminal activity took place. This is the kingdom of heaven. Do business till I come. What is the business of the kingdom of heaven? Win souls. Win, build, send. Win, build, send. Evangelize, empower, equip. Make disciples. Win souls to Jesus. This is the Greek word. See if I can pronounce it correctly. Pragmati umai which comes from the Greek word pragma. We get the word pragmatist or pragmatic from it. And the Greek word pragma means to work, which comes from another Greek word praso, which means to practice. How many know we should practice our faith, practice our religion? I don't know why they call it a practice when a doctor or a dentist or a lawyer goes into business. They shouldn't be practicing. They should be doing. <laughs> Not practicing. You guys keep... Maybe that's why I have some mistakes, because they're still practicing. Practice makes perfect, though. It means to perform repeatedly or habitually. How many know that we need to have good habits as Christians? We should have the habit of prayer. We should have the habit of praying for people. We should have the habit of attending church. We'd have the habit of giving. We should have the habit of witnessing, telling other people about Jesus. Can you say amen? Because by performing repeatedly or habitually, it results in accomplishment. One of the things that I read about in um, some leadership materials was that people need to have a sense of accomplishment in order to remain motivated. That's why people are, were supposed to try to set goals. So that when you reach a goal and you accomplish something, you can look back and say, I finally got something done. <laughs> Last month, I finally found my septic tank. What a relief it was. <laughs> because we had to get it cleaned out. And that was not so much fun. I had to get it certified. Because the county couldn't find a record of it. So we accomplished something. But in the kingdom of heaven, the great accomplishment is winning souls. How many of you have prayed with somebody to receive Jesus? It's awesome. 
You just tell them. I remember one young man, he had so many questions. I tried to answer as many as I could. And uh, he didn't get saved. But somebody told me later that, you know, I, apparently I helped him somewhat on his way because I answered a lot of his questions. But when you're able to pray with somebody, many years ago, I'll never forget, we were just out at a Fry's down on First Avenue in Grant. And there's a guy there, he seemed to be homeless, but he wasn't. And me and another guy, we asked him, you want to pray and receive Jesus? And we knelt down there and prayed. Next thing you know, the security guard came out. Hey, you guys can't do that. <laughs> so at that point in time, I wasn't married. And we had a men's house. So he came and stayed with us, started coming to church. And he moved back to New Mexico, where he's from, and got back together with his family. God restored his family because we're able to pray with him to receive Jesus. And I'll never forget, he sent a picture of his wife and his family and himself and his kids, and he looked so happy. His wife looked so happy to have her husband back. Hallelujah. That is accomplishing the kingdom of heaven business, winning souls to Jesus. Hallelujah. All right. Interesting, Luke chapter 2, verse 49. Jesus is 11 years old. He's in the temple. His parents go up to Jerusalem. They leave. The caravan's leaving. They're like three days gone. And uh, do you have Jesus with you? No. So they looked among the relatives. Do you have Jesus with you? No. Oh, my God. They go back to Jerusalem. They find him in the temple. I wonder who was feeding him those three days, taking care of him. And they said, he said... <laughs> He asked his parents, what were you looking for me for? Why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? The kingdom was growing already. Hallelujah. We'll close with a few scriptures here. Some habits. Galatians chapter 6, verse 6 and 10. Or 6 through 10, if you're taking notes. Or if you have your Bible, open to Galatians chapter 6, verse 6 through 10. Paul writes <clears throat> some instructions that him or her, whoever is taught the word, share in all good things with whoever teaches you. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh, and this is talking about a habit, will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And then he has a promise here in verse 9. Let us not grow weary while doing good. How many know we're supposed to do good? Not evil. As Christians, we're supposed to do good. Can you say amen? For in due season, we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Now why would he say if we do not lose heart. Why would, any, why would anyone get discouraged? <laughs> Ever have any problems? They sometimes weigh on you, and sometimes you'll get discouraged. But don't lose heart. In, uh, excuse me, Psalm 34, I believe it says, or 37, I would have lost heart. And that's added in italics.
to emphasize what he's talking about when he writes the words. I would have lost heart unless I believed to see the goodness of God in the land of the living. How many know or how many believe that sometimes you need some evidence that God is with you, God is for you, because we have an enemy who wants to destroy us and kill us, wants to steal from us. And when it seems like he's got the upper hand, you need to see the hand of God. Can you say amen? Need to see the hand of God. Pray, God, open my eyes. Show me some good in the land of the living, oh God. Let us not grow weary. We shall reap if we do not lose heart. Verse 10, here's some practical advice. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Pastor Wayne set up a, a link on the website for people that need help. Now that we've been going through this pandemic thing, and we've been able to help some families. Praise God. Hallelujah. But here's some other advice that is written in the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 should be very familiar scripture to everyone. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Consider one another. If you got an idea, mention it to Pastor Wayne or myself. Hey, what do you think about doing this? Will it edify the people? Is there anything that we can do? Um, we were helping, excuse me, another church hand out um, food to uh, folks down on the south side, but that's been cut off temporarily because of the pandemic. But there are other things you can do. You have neighbors? Find out if your neighbor needs anything. Stir up love. Stir up love and good works. Verse 25 says, Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner is, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. And then we'll close with this one verse from James chapter one, verse twenty-seven: "Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this: to visit orphans and widows in their trouble, and to keep oneself unspotted from the world." How many know the world wants to spot you? The world wants to make you and I look bad. The world, those that aren't saved, they're looking for any excuse to discredit you and I and Jesus. Because when they're discrediting us or they're mocking us, they're not just mocking us, they're mocking Jesus. Can you say amen? If they reject you, Jesus said, they're not just rejecting you, they're rejecting him. They're rejecting Jesus. There's been a lot of talk lately, um, and uh, depends on which polls you read and believe, that um, a lot of young people in this country think that the gospel is fiction, that we're following made-up fairy tales. I even seen a picture of some knucklehead standing there with a sign at a, some protest rally. When Jesus comes back again, we're going to kill him again. <laughs> what a moron! <laughs> and that's actually the Greek word for unbeliever, moron. <laughs> he thinks he's going to kill Jesus? <laughs> that's hilarious. Good grief. <laughs> what are you thinking? 
<laughs> you don't even know who Jesus is. And then there's people that say, oh, well, Jesus was just a man. And after he died, they, they deified him. Oh, really? Well, why don't we deify you and see if you can do the things Jesus did, like raising from the dead? <laughs> oh, my goodness. But we have not followed cunningly devised fables. These are not imaginations. There is a real empty tomb. Jerusalem is uh, east or west, wherever you go that way or that way, you find Jerusalem. There's an empty tomb in Jerusalem. There's all kinds of historical record. I have a book at home I started reading. James, the brother of Jesus. This, somebody found one of those uh, boxes where they put the bones of people in, and it has an inscription on there. Jesus, son of Joseph, no, James, son of Joseph, brother of Jesus. And there's a lot of controversy over it because it wasn't officially archaeologically excavated. But it says, James, son of Joseph, brother of Jesus. And if you read, and we did a study not too long ago on all this evidence, <coughs> um, not Josh McDowell. What was the guy's name who wrote that book? There's evidence that demands a verdict. And Lee Strobel is a, a, uh, <clears throat> an investigative reporter. And he interviewed people and he asked and, he, and he, he went through all the evidence. There is so much manuscripts and copies of the Bible that are accurate, that are um, they're, they're true that anyone who really, really wants to know, they can find out. You really, there really is evidence. We're not following a fairy tale. And it's so sad that the people who think it's all a fairy tale, they're in for a big surprise. Can you say amen? A big surprise, like that guy with the sign. Oh my goodness. How could you think that? <laughs> then there was a doctor being interviewed on... <clears throat> We was in court. We were watching yesterday. There's a doctor. He says, well, how many... Uh, <clears throat> this is about abortion and how many babies he murdered. And in, uh, that, uh, you know, the, finally the lawyer asks him, well, <clears throat> are you religious? He says, no. He says, uh, do you uh, take exception at religious views? Oh, yes. Are you an atheist? Yes. Well, that explains everything. If you don't believe there's a God, then you don't believe that you're going to have to give an account of yourself someday, and you can do whatever you want. But there is a God. Can you say amen? And it's evident. All you have to do is look for it, and you'll find plenty of it. So it looks like I have no time left. So praise God. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes in prayer. <clears throat> Let's bow our heads, close our eyes, and close the service in prayer. Hallelujah. Praise God. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed and no one's looking around, this is the most important part of the service. I want to ask you sincerely, look inside yourself and say, am I right with God? Have I ever received Jesus as my Savior? Or am I backslidden and have I drifted away? If that's you, God loves you with such intense love. It's hard to describe. And I want you to know that Jesus took 
our place, took the sins of the whole world upon Himself in order to set us free. It's the proof of God's love. This is how we know God loves us, that He sent His Son to take our place, to die for us, the godly for the ungodly. And this morning, if you're listening and you're under the sound of my voice and you realize how ungodly you are, God still loves you and He wants to make you godly. I read a story of a, an Italian priest in 1945. He visited a, uh, an, a minister who was a peasant. And he said the man prayed for him. And as he was praying, he thought, well, it's an intense prayer. And he said, then he closed his eyes and he saw all of his sin before him and he cried out for mercy to God and he got saved and became born again. He's laid aside all his intellectual knowledge and everything because he understood that there's a God who loves him and a God who made the way to remove guilt and transgression. If you're here under the sound of my voice and you have not received Jesus as your Savior and you want to receive Jesus or you have and you've drifted away and you're backslidden, God loves you and he wants to restore you, you'll just lift up your hand as no one's looking around, heads are bowed and eyes are closed anyone at all. If you're listening online and you're not saved, just say this short prayer with me. Say, Jesus, I love you. Thank you that you first loved me. Forgive me for all my sins. Come into my life. Be the Lord of my life. Save me. And amen. It's as simple as that. Praise God. With that, if you have need of prayer, uh, well, we'd be happy to pray for you. Uh, otherwise, um, my wife will help me. And otherwise, let's stand to our feet. I hope you got something out of the message this morning. Jesus is near, right here at hand. The Spirit of God is here, but Jesus is coming back. I hope every one of us are anxiously ready and waiting. Amen.